hey, Joe Casaboni here, and I'm just letting you know that how I built it is now Streamlined Solopreneur. So if you're seeing a new artwork and a new name in your podcast player, that is expected and by design. The new name better reflects the mission and really what has been the mission of this show for the last few years, and I'm really excited about it. All the links in the show notes and how I built it will still work, but the show also has a new home over at streamlined.fm if you want to check it out. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 126 of How I Built It. Today, my guest is ProfitWell co-founder and CEO, Patrick Campbell. ProfitWell, formerly Price Intelligently, has worked with all sorts of companies, including Big Commerce, WP Engine, and Masterclass, and they focus on doing things like figuring out the best pricing for subscriptions. As a matter of fact, Patrick talks about how he became obsessed with subscription growth. He wanted to figure it out and share that information with people. So we talk about how he built profit well, and we also talked about what he's learned as far as pricing goes. I really enjoyed this interview because it's something that I always wrestle with. I'm sure a lot of you out there also wrestle with it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Patrick Campbell of Profit Well after a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Plesk. Do you spend too much time doing server admin work and not enough time building websites? Plesk helps you manage servers, websites, and customers in one dashboard, helping you do those tasks up to 10 times faster than manually coding everything. And let me tell you, I recently checked out their new and improved WordPress toolkit, and I was super impressed by how easy it was to spin up new WordPress sites, clone sites, and even manage multiple updates to themes and plugins. With the click of one button, I was able to update all of my WordPress sites. I was, again, incredibly impressed by how great their WordPress toolkit is. You can learn more and try Plesk for free at plesk.com build. That's plesk.com build. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Castos. Castos is a podcast hosting platform built specifically for WordPress. Their seriously simple podcasting plugin lets you manage all of your episodes and podcast RSS right from your WordPress site, but have your files hosted on a dedicated media hosting platform. If you use WordPress, this is by far the easiest platform that I have used for podcasting. I also really love how the Castos team takes a common sense approach to their pricing. You can create as many episodes and podcasts as you want, and you don't have to worry about how much storage you're using or bandwidth restrictions. And if you're like me and you already have a ton of episodes from an old host, they've got you covered. Castos will import all of your podcast content into their platform completely free of charge. It's literally one click of a button in your WordPress dashboard. I could not believe my eyes when I saw this in action. And it's stuff like this, which is why I built my own podcasting course on top of Castos. And they have put together a really special opportunity for the show today. You can get 50% off your first three months with the code BUILTIT19. That's B-U-I-L-T-I-T-1-9. Just head over to castos.com slash how I built it to learn more. That's castos.com slash how I built it. 
Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that today? My guest is Patrick Campbell, the co-founder and CEO of ProfitWell. Patrick, how are you today? I'm doing well. Excited to, to talk about building and all the fun stuff that comes with growth. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, for uh, the audience, why don't you let us know uh, a little bit about who you are and what you do and, and what ProfitWell is? Yeah, totally. It's always the the question because I could talk for like an hour or I could just say like a really small missive of what who I am, et cetera. But uh, <laughs> I guess uh, I'll, I'll give kind of the, the boring version with a little bit of spice to it here. Uh, so I... Um, I'm from Wisconsin originally. Um, we're based in Boston, though. Um, my background's in econometrics and math. Um, I started my career working in the U.S. intelligence community in D.C., uh, and then I moved to Boston to work at Google, and um, basically uh, was in big bureaucratic, you know, uh, organizations, you know, Google and the U.S. government. So mm-hmm. I wanted to jump out and jumped into the startup community here. And uh, about six years ago, got the bug and and started. Um, what was then called Price Intelligently, and we changed our name to ProfitWell. And basically, we are obsessed with understanding subscription or recurring revenue growth. Um, so our big mantra is we want to understand subscription growth better than anyone else and then share that knowledge um, and then you know imbue that within our products. And the products that we offer, we have a free subscription financial metrics product uh, so you plug in your you know billing system, Stripe, Braintree, Zorro, whatever you're using, and you get access to your MRR, your churn, et cetera. Uh, and then the way that we make money is once you log into that you know free product, you know you'll see, hey, this is a problem, this is a problem, um, this is really good. And when there's problems, um, we have a couple products: one that helps reduce your churn um, by attacking your delinquencies, and another that helps with your pricing, um, which was the price intelligently product. And so, yeah, we're pretty we're pretty obsessed with. With the subscription world, and that's hopefully a, a good little background with some nice, uh, some nice highlights. Yeah, that's that's perfect. And so, um, so you're from Wisconsin, but you're based in Boston. Are you a Boston sports fan? Uh, um, <laughs> I kind of have to say yes, or I'll, I'll get attacked. But yeah. uh, no, I'm so I'm a I'm I'm a definitely a Wisconsin sports fan still. Um, you know, Green Bay Packers especially, and I love the Bucks and the Brewers. Uh, but it's hard to hard to love those teams because I mean the Packers have been doing well for a while, but like it's hard to love the other teams because they haven't done as well. But in Boston, it's it's super tough because everyone. I, I just feel like the, we're so spoiled out here with all the championships <laughs> and such that that's creating like terrible fans. Um, you know, people who are like, oh, we didn't make, uh, you know, we didn't make the finals this year. Like it's a terrible season. Everyone should be fired. And it's like, I don't know when the Brewers went over 500 and didn't make the playoffs, it was a great season. You know, So it's just kind of like a funny thing, but I don't know. I like the whole championship or bust mentality out here. I think that's uh that's, I think it's interesting. I think it's helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I was born and raised in New York, so I'm a New York sports fan and, uh, I, I have the same mentality with the Yankees. It's like the Yankees didn't make it to the playoffs. It was a wasted season. Um, but that said, Mets fans are a little bit different, right? They're like grateful to make the playoffs. So uh, it's always fun to see <laughs> the expectations of of different fandoms. But we're not here to talk about sports, even though I uh, I initiated and I could talk about that all day. Um I just had to know as a New Yorker if you if you were a Red Sox fan, really. Um, I mean, I, I will say I hate the Yankees, so no. Just, that, <laughs> <laughs> just add some, just add some fire yeah, here. Yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, so you you worked in the U.S. intelligence agency and then Google, uh, and you mentioned that 
um, those are large bureaucratic agencies and you wanted to jump into the startup community. Uh, what what was um, maybe the the biggest bureaucratic headache that you, or what was like maybe a, a, a common headache that you saw due to big bureaucracy? Ooh, that's a really good question. I, I think the... Um the common one and the biggest one are a little bit different. Um, the the biggest one, which you, you you're annoyed at, but you also realize why it's important. So when I worked at um, um, in the Intel community at, at one of the agencies, um, I it would take like three to four forms to change a print cartridge um, wow. in a printer, and and now you sit there and you're like, oh my god, that seems ridiculous. But then again, you're like, okay. If you think about being in an intelligence community, like, you know, printers are, you know, places that you can have attacks or you can have, you know, people collecting information and such. So having logs on logs, like, does make sense. But it's also like, maybe it shouldn't have been four forms. Maybe two forms would have been okay. Like, you know, so it's it's kind of like, and, and, and that's kind of how everything is, right? So when you're a young, you know, kind of, um, I don't know like arrogant kid, you know, trying to take over the world and do, you know, really, you know, just really hungry. Right. You know, that's, that, that bureaucracy is, that that's tiresome. I think the bigger, like more persistent and, and or common um, thing that I think was really frustrating was um, this whole concept of communication management. So if you've ever worked in a large organization, you spend a lot of your time just, it, it's not quite politicking, but it's, it's kind of like, Oh, I have to make sure that, you know, I am being presented in the best light when I do this presentation. And then there's, um, you know, oh, I have to take on this extra project because that's how I get promoted. And, and there's just a lot of this stuff that's like outside of the core work and also makes it complicated because all of a sudden you say something, you know, that is not even inappropriate, but like mildly rubs someone the wrong way. And so now you have mm-hmm. to like go apologize. And like, there's just a lot of stuff that comes with a large organization. Um, and so when building, you know, an organization at ProfitWell and we're now, you know, about 60 people, you know, that, that becomes like one of those things where, you know, how do I, how do I like with the knowledge of not wanting that in inside an organization, how do I, you know, make sure that, that I can, you know, not snuff that out because some of that stuff's important, but make sure that it's, you know, efficient and it's the right type of conversations. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really great point, right? I think a lot of people probably start their own companies because they see something that they didn't like in their full-time employment or in the traditional job market and uh, being cognizant to not make that part of your company culture is then a big challenge, especially because these giant companies have been able to scale and maybe that's part of scaling. But um, yeah, I I, I totally understand that. I worked in uh, higher ed and I was never really good at the politics stuff. I uh, again, being a New York Italian, I always kind of spoke my mind and that got me into <laughs> trouble uh, because I always told my superiors the things that they didn't want to hear, but I knew were right. So uh, luckily I'm self-employed now, though. There um, you go. That's how you, yeah. get, that's how you <laughs> cut all those things, uh, yeah. cut through them all. It just goes yeah. full self-employment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so what gave you the idea to start um, price intelligently now, now profit well because I, this I love this idea and as as more and more people get into thinking about subscriptions and monthly recurring revenue, um, like I feel like it's easier than ever to get into that now. But doing it right is hard to to do things like find the right pricing and prevent churn. So, uh, what what gave you the idea for this business? 
Yeah, it's a good, good question. I think there were there was two two vectors to starting the business. The first one was I would say like that young hubris that I was um, you know referencing before the like oh I can do better like all this other stuff and being frustrated you know in larger organizations and so that made me jump out of you know the larger organizations and then you know even at a smaller organization I worked at this company called Gemvara between Google and starting Price Intelligently. But even in that smaller organization, which was about a hundred people, I still kind of felt that that hubris, and so I don't know if that was you know, and, and I, I've grown out of that in a good way, um, you know, because <laughs> but I'm thankful that I was you know a little bit of a you know a gruff early twenty year old uh, millennial, if you will, back yeah. in the day, um, because I think that pushed me to not just like settle for a traditional nine to five, but. The kind of, hey, this is an idea, what came from, I was tasked, I was kind of like a strategic initiatives person where basically I would, you know, hey, little problems here and there, the support people need training or, you know, the order management system needs a product manager, like just little stuff like that. Um, But the one thing I got tasked with was pricing. Uh, So there was just, they gave a kid, you know, basically, you know, a young middle 20s person, this whole pricing thing, which was all of a sudden something where I had a little bit of a playground where I would see changes we would make would either have giant, you know, wins in terms of, you know, revenue or have giant losses. And so that was one of these things where I was like, oh, interesting. This is really, really fascinating, um, especially when it came to, um, you know, most companies and most businesses, we put so much sweat, so much, you know, effort into building something. And then when it comes time to price it, we're kind of like, I don't know, just like put a nine at the end and put the most expensive tier on the left and like, yeah, we'll call it a day, right? And it's like, well, there there should be some more science here, right? And so this got me fascinated with like digging deeper and deeper and deeper on a problem. And then what we discovered was that pricing, it's it's not just the number, it's like your packaging, your positioning, who you choose as a customer. And that kind of opened up the entire, you know, vision for where we were going in terms of this whole like subscription growth, subscription science element. So yeah, that's kind of the, the 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 mild origin story or the ideation story, if you will. I really I really like that, right? Um, cause, I mean, you said there should be more science here, which I mean, definitely. I feel like I feel like more often than not, I'm just picking a price that I think people will pay, uh, and then seeing if people will actually pay it. Um, but you're right. You said it's not it's not just pricing; it's packaging, it's positioning, it's it's knowing the customer. Um, so as you uh, so I'm actually really curious about uh, kind of the research aspect of it, right? I always ask, what kind of research did you do? But um, in this case, it sounds like your product offers um, a large amount of information presented with with the research around it for maybe psychologically what pricing works and stuff like that. Would you be able to explain that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So. You know, let me pick a depth here, and if if you want me to go deeper, or if I go too far, then you can always cut it. Uh, but because yeah. <laughs> um, it's 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 kind of like like how do you price, right? And that's that's right. like it's a really it, there's a short version, and then there's a medium version, and there's a really long version, right? So yeah. I, I think that it comes down to like if you think about what a price is, your price is the, the the phrase I like to say is it's the exchange rate on the value that you're providing. So what that means is is that you've you've put you know, all this effort into whatever you're doing. Um, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, I created this much value and because we don't barter things anymore, um, or at least formal, formally, um, I'm going to put a number 
on that so that you can give me, you know, some cash equivalent for for whatever that product is, right? So when you start to use that mental model, everything in your business from your sales and your marketing all the way down to your product and finance starts to become either driving someone to a point of conversion or justifying the price or the product that you're offering. So all that means is that you need to measure that precipice. And so there's a bunch of models you can use and different ways that you can collect data. Everything from you know using you know souped up conjoint analysis, which is really really expensive and takes a ton of time, all the way to just having qualitative conversations with your customers in the right way. This is all under you know customer development as it's called. But all of those things, what you're trying to get at is measuring for the right customer and determining the right customer. What is the um, you know what what is their perception of that value? Because that perception is reality, and then using different value propositions in order to figure out you know does this value proposition move the value this much, or does this value proposition move that much? And so to give you a little bit of a practical practical advice, um, if you and I were having a conversation on the phone here, and I was trying to you know understand research about you know, the computer that I'm, I'm, you know, conferencing in on here, what I would do is I would go, okay, so this computer has like a bunch of, you know, like a bunch of benefits for you. It can, you know, make you more efficient. It can give you a bunch of entertainment. Um, It can, you know, help you with like research. um, And there's probably a bunch of other stuff. So, but, but out of those three, what's the most important and what's the least important? Um, and you might say like, Hey, like the, the productivity efficiency is like the really most important one. And uh, I don't know, like I really need the research element, the entertainment I'm going to use, but like, it's probably the least important. And just with that, like data across like 30 people, all of a sudden I start have like some sort of semblance of, okay, so for this computer, like it's an efficiency device. It's the bicycle for the mind as, you know, Steve Jobs once said, right? (laughs) And then I might ask you, okay, cool. So that's awesome. So this is something that's really, really important for your efficiency, your productivity, all that kind of fun stuff. You know, at what point is this so expensive? Like you just wouldn't purchase it. And you might struggle to give an answer. You might be like, hmm, probably like 1500 bucks, right? Okay, cool. And then I'd say, at what point is it such a good deal? Like you'll, you'll buy it right now. And you might go like, well, like 500 bucks, right? For like a MacBook Pro or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I have, again, across 30 people, I might have like a really good understanding of, okay, we're somewhere around like 800 to $1,000. Um, people think about this as efficiency. Entertainment is the least important. It doesn't mean it's unimportant. It just means it's the least important relative to the other stuff. And I start to have a mental model of like my packaging, my positioning, as, as well as my pricing. And if you're doing this, you know, in a, in a little more formalized manner, I'm using, you know, some some extra statistical juice, if you will, um, to do this at, uh, at, at kind of scale. But that's really what pricing really, really comes down to is understanding that buyer and measuring that understanding. You don't always have to agree with them, but like you want to understand what they think in order to to make sure that you're positioning and, and really just boosting that value. This episode is brought to you by Pantheon. Starting a new project? Looking for a better hosting platform? Pantheon is an integrated set of tools to build, launch, and run websites. Get high-performance hosting for your WordPress sites, plus a comprehensive toolkit to supercharge your team and help you launch faster. On Pantheon, you get expert support from real developers, best-in-class security, and the most innovative technology to host and manage your websites. 
You can sign up a new site in minutes with a free account. You only pay when it goes live. That is my second favorite feature to Pantheon, only to the easy ability to create dev staging and live servers and push to GitHub. It's very easy to set those things up on Pantheon. So you can head over to Pantheon.io today again to set up a free account. Pay only when it goes live. Thanks so much to Pantheon for their support of this episode and this season of How I Built It. I probably consistently underpriced some of my courses because I'm not sure what people are willing to pay, even though I'm providing them uh, the value of for two hundred dollars, I'm going to teach you a skill where you can turn around and then make a thousand dollars, right? Like that sure. should be a, a no brainer, right? Um, but on the same token, I was having a conversation with my dad over the weekend because there's this pen that I want that is two hundred fifty dollars. And he can't possibly fathom why I would pay that much money for a pen. Uh, and I said, you know, well, you people pay $100 for a haircut or highlights or a massage uh, that lasts an hour. And this pen is something that I would use every day for the rest of my life. So um, it's it's really, you know, what what is the value of the thing that you're offering and what are people willing to pay for it, right? Yeah, I, the, value, but, yeah. the value changes too, right? So. Yeah. The, the, the other example I love to give is like, you know, if I asked you, and, and this is how we think about, we, we think about value as human beings as, as a spectrum, right? So if I asked you like, hey, this, um, you know, this computer versus this water bottle in front of me, like what's, what's more valuable? Like it's pretty easy for you, like all things being equal to go, oh, this computer. But if I put you in the desert, don't give you water for five to seven days or whatever the maximum <laughs> you can survive is. All of a sudden, you're like, "F this computer! Like, give me the water, right?" right? right. And, and that's that's what's really interesting too, right? Because that two hundred fifty dollar pen, like, I I don't know anything about your family, but maybe your dad, like, you know, they they scraped by every penny, et cetera, and like, you know, just the the idea of uh, you know something that you could theoretically get for free or for a dollar, paying two fifty for it for any reason just seems preposterous. Whereas you might appreciate, you know, the finer things, you know, that kind of thing, or like, right. you know, you appreciate really high quality stuff. And normally, if you're, you know, more dev oriented, that that's what you do. And so, yeah, it's it's super super fascinating. Yeah, that's and that's an again a, a really good point um, about, you know, the value changes. Uh, I don't, I don't, you know, my car needs a repair, but I'm not. I don't need to repair the car right now because I don't rely on it for work. I work from home, but if I had to drive every day to work, I would make sure my car was fixed immediately because that's my means for making money. Yeah. So, um, that's, I, so you, you covered a lot of really great stuff in kind of understanding, um, understanding the buyer and, and why, why that really impacts price. As I get to the title question, how did you build that? Uh, or how did you build it? Um, maybe we could talk about uh, a, a little bit about the technology because a lot of technical people listen to this show, but also how did you build the mechanisms to help say a user like me understand my, my customers? Yeah, that's, it's actually, it's, it's a really fascinating question because I think that there's like, if we were starting and this is the irony of, of building a company or building a product, like if we were starting price intelligently today with the knowledge that we had, um, you know, from the past six years, we probably would build it very differently. And that's why we're, you know, we're, we're doing a bunch of different things on that product to change it. 
And the reason is is because we're we're a bootstrap company, so we haven't raised any any outside venture or any capital at all, really. It's funny when people say outside, I'm always like, "Well, did you raise inside?" And yeah, it's just kind of interesting, <laughs> interesting <laughs> wordplay. Um, but yeah. yeah, no outside, no no capital in general. Just me in a room, you know, busting my butt for you know 18 hours a day for nine months um, to kind of get the thing off the ground. But we used to have like a pure software product, so it was just a. Um, and it was essentially a survey tool. We baked our algorithm into the survey tool, and then you could send out this survey, you could get the answers, and then it would do the number crunching for you. And what we found is that um, this, so one, the reason that we do it this way is because to sell something on the pricing front, you run into a bunch of problems because you do need to measure that perception but measuring that perception through A/B testing or measuring it through like any other market signal is is just not accurate and not really great. Um, so like A/B testing, most of us like we could build a product for A/B testing for like very high traffic consumer sites. Um, like Amazon can do a A/B test in you know thirty seconds basically on price. Um, the problem was is that all of those companies typically build that themselves because they have a big stack that they want to you know kind of imbue that into. So for all of the rest of us, we have to go do this research. The problem we ran into was basically um, we, you know, people, they didn't want to do the work to get the data. So we didn't solve that problem completely, but we, you know, solved a lot of that problem for people. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, um, you know, I, I have the data now, you know, and, and I'm smart, like they didn't say this, but like they're smart people and intelligent. But I, I don't know what to do because they don't trust themselves because they've never worked on pricing before. They've never like you know worked on anything come to pricing. And they may have taken one course if they got their MBA, but then it was all theoretical. And mm-hmm. so what we had to do is, is basically from from a user perspective, like we started getting people asking us like, "Hey, can we just pay you to help us?" And we were like, "Well, we don't want to. You know, we don't want to do services. You know, services are bad when it comes to software, right?" Um, or that's what everyone says. But what we mm-hmm. noticed is like, well, the margins were really, really good because literally all we were doing was just giving them like support on like the data and just like answering questions, right? And then it evolved like further from there, but it moved into what's called a tech-enabled service where basically, you know, you can't buy our software without buying us. You can't buy us without our software. Um, and now we we basically run the software for our customers. And what that's done is it's it's basically just opened up the ability for us to have that that trust factor um, with our customers and also help them implement really quickly. And the reason I said we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't build, you know, the exact same product today that we built, you know, over the past six years is because we started realizing, and we've realized this for a while, and this is what really kind of spurred us building, you know, ProfitWell and ProfitWell Retain and some of our other products is that we either need a product where it's like heavy, heavy usage, heavy workflow, and that's kind of what's going on with with price intelligently and, and how we kind of flow through with our customers, or we need to build a product that just absolutely does it for them. Um, and that with pricing is something that's hard to do. I think we found out how to do that, um, and that's what we're kind of building right now. Um, but it's one of those things where it's like that was a huge realization that we found um, to kind of you know really understand. Um, you know how to deploy this understanding and this 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 kind of science, if you will. Gotcha. That that's really interesting. So to uh, to kind of summarize what you said, you, your initial product was essentially a survey tool, right? Where you could gather information. Uh, I sign up. I could then kind of survey my customers or people that look like my customers and get information. 
but a lot of people, uh, forgive me if I'm I'm uh, confusing this now, but a lot of people kind of already had their own uh, way of doing that, and they just didn't know how to process the information. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's kind of like if I, um, you know, you're you're an engineer, correct? Mm-hmm. So like. I don't know the first time you learn whatever language you're, you know, super proficient in, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or like maybe this is a better metaphor. It's kind of like, um, you know, you're 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 coding in Python or something like that, yeah. and you all of a sudden are given, you know, a, a fresh language, right, that mm-hmm. you've never used before. Like it's not that you're not like smart and can't figure it out like any engineer can like use another language and you know the building blocks and figure it out but you still probably want to ask someone some questions or you know go and do some communities and ask some questions because you're not entirely confident right like mm-hmm. and you can guess and check because you can do that with code like really well and do some tests right. but when it comes to your pricing you can't really guess and check um, because you just you can't just put a bunch of stuff out there constantly and you want someone to kind of help you like Hey, is this the right thing to do? Should we do this? What do you think? Um, and that's kind of where where we came into play. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, I have I have the knowledge of programming, but um, I'm good at this one language. If you give me a different language, it's going to take me some time to figure it out. And and if you are already launched and you have people potentially ready to buy your product and you don't know if you don't have the right price, you're losing money, right? Every minute that your pricing is wrong or that people are ignoring you because your price is too low or too high or whatever. And so that's really the the value there is that you you help me find the right price faster. Yeah, hundred percent. And then the other aspects around pricing, like your packaging, who your buyer mm-hmm. should be, all that kind of fun stuff. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um that's that's great. That's super interesting. Um, so, uh, are you familiar at all with the the tech stack? Can I ask you like what what programming language or what platform you're built on, or is that uh, is that a different is that a different team member? I should yeah. Talk to about so I am I'm definitely not the head of engineering or head of product anymore. And even when I was, it wasn't. Uh, to, to give me that title would just be because no one else had it. Um, so um, I am, you know, I'm more of a data science than anything. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, basically what I'm saying is like early days, I could, you know, debug things and like figure it out. Now it's like way beyond my scope. Um, mm-hmm. It's a Python stack. Um, okay. We use like kind of like a, you know, a modified Django framework um, basically in order to, um, you know, really take advantage of a lot of the modules and things like that that are made for Python and data. Um, and that was particularly important when we get into some of our other products like ProfitWell, which is a metrics product because accuracy is like the number one thing. Um, and mm-hmm. so that product just as a refresher is like bringing in data from a billing system and then spitting out your MRR, your churn, all that kind of fun stuff. Gotcha. And um, anyone who's built like analytics in a product knows that 100% accuracy is, well, 100% anything but 100% accuracy for metrics is incredibly difficult. So for us, we had to, um, you know, instead of like pulling from like the invoice object, which is in every billing system, we actually had to go down to the event object, which is like the most granular piece of all these billing systems, and basically build all of these metrics from scratch. Um, and it was just like, honestly, just like a game of whack a mole for like a year. Um, I think like <laughs> the Stripe ingestion, we have. 
gosh, like 1,500 edge cases that we account for because everyone kind of uses Stripe a little bit differently. Um, yeah, it just was, you know, just something that's pretty, pretty intense. And so, yeah, long story short, that's, that's kind of, I mean, there's some things I know more about our stack, I would say, but I don't know if they're, if they're going to be helpful or yeah. it would probably be embarrassing to me. <laughs> to say something like, oh yeah, like MVC framework, blah, 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 blah. And people are right. like, oh, that's not what it's called. I'm like, okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's great. Um, I'm, I'm just always interested. I mean, Python generally is a very good language, especially for processing uh, data sets. I've come to learn, at least. This is what people tell me. I'm a PHP guy myself. Um, Old school, I like it. No, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's a little. See, I can, I can, I can, I know the mild digs to give, you know, with different yeah. languages and such. But yeah, keep it yeah, old yeah. school um, instead of those Ruby guys. Those yeah, people, those Ruby know. on Rails guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, but JavaScript apparently, uh, apparently JavaScript is this new up and coming thing that I should learn. What's um, JavaScript like? Just yeah. like the people. So we had we had a couple developers um, come in and. Um, you know, they were from IBM and it was a big JavaScript shop and you know they we, we converted them to Python and one of them was like, Yeah, whatever, it's fine. I can do any code code in any language. The other one was like, We should switch everything to JavaScript. JavaScript. Like it's just like they're they're like ironically more fervent than the Ruby on Rails folks I found. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, and and for me, I mean the you know, I, I know enough JavaScript to to be less dangerous or whatever, but yeah, yeah, um yeah. But for me, it's like, I feel like every other day, it's like, have you seen this new JavaScript framework? You should learn that. And I'm like, should I? Yeah. Because like, I learned Angular, and then React came out, and then Vue came <laughs> out, and now something else is out. And I don't, I just, I just want to Yeah, like refactoring <laughs> for React, that was like a fun project for us. Um, it was just <laughs> heavy, one of those. I heard the heavy sarcasm in your voice there. Oh, no. Well, it's just kind of funny, because like, the, yeah. the, the funny thing about, um, that I find, and especially as a non- um, you know, non-engineer is is basically looking at, and that's also there's like a couple side notes. One side note, it's funny whenever you ask like like I used to run this like founder meetup in Boston, and whenever you would ask like, and it was for people who didn't have founders looking for founders uh, or co-founders, I should say. Mm-hmm. And whenever you ask like a technical like a technical founder, like, hey, are you a technical founder or more of a business founder? They're very clear. I am a technical founder. Whenever you ask a business founder, like, hey, are you a technical founder or a business founder? They'll go. It's like a little bit of both. Like everyone, like <laughs> like yeah, like no one like stays in their lane. And I'm just like, no, I'm not a technical founder. Like I yeah. know I'm not. I I know enough to you know be dangerous, but dangerous in both directions, helpful and terrible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting. I think it's you know I can't even remember the other tangent, which I think was more relevant for what we were talking about. But yeah, like the oh React. Uh, the the yeah. thing that comes up is that like as a non technical founder. It's it's estimation, right? So like, hey, when is this going to be ready? Well, it's not really the right question, right? But it's like you kind of do need to know when it's going to be ready, or like roughly when it's going to be ready. And so with React, it was like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna refactor it. I think it was like something like five weeks, and it just took so much longer. Like it was just one of those things where it just kept coming up and coming up. Oh yeah, absolutely. I whenever I uh, come up with an estimation, I always just double it. Like no matter what, um, how long do you think this will take? I think it'll take four weeks, so it'll take eight weeks. Yeah, that's um, what I've started to do. Yeah. Like in the in my back of my mind, whenever I hear something, is like, which I think is fine because I think we like we've determined you can either have a deadline on like so if you have a new feature, let's say you can have a deadline on when the feature is going to be ready. Or when the launch is going to take place, 
Um, and, and we've chosen like, cool, like, well, we're not going to have a deadline on when the feature is going to be ready. So that means like when it's ready, you know, we have to like tamper down engineering a little bit and be like, Hey, like it's not going to go out right away. It's going to go out within a reasonable amount of time, but you can't expect like, you know, everything to be dropped. It's just really, it's, it's fascinating, especially when you start getting to, to certain scale and we're not even that like crazy scale yet. Um, just like how, how that interaction, you know, plays out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I mean, I think that's a, a very good point. Um, and uh, I lost my train of thought there. Oh, good. Uh, here, I'll clap my hands. Uh, Joel, if you could just edit that part out, I'll just start. Uh, that's a good point again. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point. And I, I've read a lot of things, um, you know, like from the Basecamp guys about when they plan launches or features and things like that. And it really, it, it really depends on how your company works. But um, I just think that in general, human beings are optimists. And that's why we always get like the short estimate. Like, I think that nothing's going to go wrong when I do this. And therefore, it'll take me four weeks. But then two weeks in, you're like, oh, my God, I have no idea how React works. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we also, to, to yeah, and we also spend, we don't spend nearly enough time actually estimating, right? Like if right. you spend three weeks to estimate, you know something that was going to take three weeks, you might be completely accurate. But you're like, well, if it's going to take five weeks, it's better that I just started working on it. You know, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then that's a really good point too. Um, so uh, as we kind of wrap up here, um, I always like to ask, kind of, what are your plans for the future? I know you touched on this a little bit, and um, ProfitWell has has kind of changed over time. But what's what's um, What's some some big thing that you're working on coming down the pike that you're, of course, willing to announce? I don't want you to like give your roadmap and then be <laughs> held to it. No, no, it's okay. Um, you never give out your roadmap, right? Or you yeah, never give you never give uh, dates of your roadmap, uh, right? Um, so I think we, yeah. So what we're really pulling on this thread is is the whole subscription science, um, you know, search for truth concept, and I think that. Really, the the where we're at right now is just like kind of combining our brands, you know, trying to get the right story to be told to kind of combine the different products that we have built, uh, and then kind of going deeper on everything that we've been doing. So, if you think about any like business, but especially subscription or recurring revenue businesses, you know, you acquire a customer, you monetize that customer, and then you retain that customer, right? So we want pure end-to-end deliverability, or um, excuse me, deliverability. We want pure end-to-end, basically analytics on everything from top of the funnel all the way through your engagement. And so we we came out with our first um, version of engagement data that's connected to your financial data last year. And so we're going to continue to kind of pull on that thread, and then also add top of the funnel data as well. And we want it to be like turnkey, so not like hey, you have to spin up a bunch of APIs and do a bunch of stuff, but like hey, it automatically does it for you. And then with that, all of that data combined, it's going to make our you know paid products, which focus on you know basically solving you know some of these problems, um, just that much deeper. So that's a non-specific answer, but the, the the specific answer is really you know we're just going to kind of keep keep going down and down this um, you know this this rabbit hole. Um, some specific things we're coming out with you know that that I'm really excited about. So there's a whole talk you know that we could have about our approach to content. Um, we're focused very very much on um, this whole media strategy. So there's a lot of video, there's a lot of blog, there's just a ton of stuff. 
um, that we're coming out with. So we're, we're basically going to be launching a bit of a network um, in the next couple of months here that you can you know access, and it's going to have a bunch of different shows around subscription growth and things like that. Um, so that's something we're really excited about, and we we think about content as a product, and so I feel like it's okay to to throw that in the product roadmap discussion. Yeah, that's I mean that's fantastic, and I think it makes. A lot of sense, right? People have been saying content is king forever, and it's still the case. Good content is what drives organic traffic and trust and things like that. So, um, awesome. So as we as we wrap up here, I do want to ask you my favorite question, Uh-oh. and uh, I'm I'm excited for your answer. And that is, do you have any trade secrets for us? Trade secrets. Um, ooh. And we're pretty open with a lot of our secrets. <laughs> like we're pretty open with like everything we find out. So like we have this show that we publish every week called the Profwell Report, which is just like benchmarking data that we've discovered on like different stuff. Everything from you know, does is it important that you actually sleep um, in terms of growth, all the way to like you know how do you optimize your annual subscriptions and things like that. Um, I think, oh, I, okay, so here's here's two things. I don't know if I would call them trade secrets, but two things I think they are super, super important that I feel like are, are definitely going to be true based on the data. Um, so for one, I think in the next couple of decades, uh, there is going to be a need for every product to have some sort of free element. Um, so it might not necessarily be a totally free tier, um, but it might be like a side product that has like you know a, a pricing grader or a marketing grader or things like that, like some of the you know businesses have already come out with. Um, and the reason for that is because content is getting so so dense. We're in this market where it's like, hey, let's make content better and better, and like good content will probably always be relevant. But we're heading into this world where it's actually um, you know it's getting harder to acquire customers, and so the best way to do it is to kind of nurture them you know through some sort of a free product. And we've seen that people who convert from a free product to a paid product typically have better NPS, better retention, um, better expansion revenue, et, et cetera. Um, and so I think the the unit economics are going to continue to play out, and you're going to need some sort of free. Um, element. This is why we, you know, gave away Profitwell for free, just because we saw that it wasn't really a great monetized feature or product, I should say. And and now we're, um, you know, expanding on it. So, yeah, I guess that's that's the most trade secret I can give, and I'm more than happy to share the data for the show notes on that. That is, uh, I think that's fantastic advice because, um, you know, I think another way to put what you said is is uh, we're mo- we're very much in a trust economy or the beginnings of a trust economy, right? People, traditional advertising doesn't work for people. People want to trust the people that they're giving money to. And the best way to develop that trust is by showing them you you do good work by giving away part of it for free, right? So uh, in my case, I might create a, a free course to show people I really know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and then they start to trust me as an instructor and then they're willing to buy my paid course because they like how, how I teach. 100%. Absolutely, 100%. That's great. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for that piece of advice and for joining me today. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, so I am Paticus on Twitter, P-A-T-T-I-C-U-S. Um, or uh, I'm really active on LinkedIn, so just Patrick Campbell on LinkedIn. All right, I will add uh, both of them to the show notes. Uh, is Paticus, is that a uh, a homage to Atticus Finch by chance? <laughs> I, You know, it's funny. 
Uh, sort of. I think that's the <laughs> rationalization. It was uh, in my sixth grade chemistry. No, not chemistry. It couldn't have been sixth grade then. No, yeah, sixth grade science class. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, there was this band called Atticus. I, I wasn't, oh my god, yeah, I used yeah. to listen to Atticus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't like a huge like listener fan or something like that. But yeah. one of my like classmates' friends like basically like listened to them, and he was just like, oh yeah, it's like it's like or it's Paticus. It's like Atticus, but Patrick. So that <laughs> that's just kind of where it took off. Like so, it just was like a childhood nickname and. Um, it never really like fully caught on, but I've just kind of embraced it. So <laughs> it's one of those things where yeah. c- trying to find a Twitter handle and having a, you know, pretty common name like Patrick Campbell, um, you know, push me to that. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. I will include a link to all of that, including a link to Atticus, the band in the show notes, which you can <laughs> find over at howibuilt.it. Patrick, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks so much to Patrick for joining me today. I really enjoyed a a bunch of aspects of this story, Um, how he was a bootstrapped company, how he recognizes that the way he built it when they first started uh, is not necessarily the way they built it now. And so they're uh, changing a few things. Um, So uh, he talks about, you know, the dangers of estimation for time and cost, of course, Um, I like his advice about never giving dates on your roadmap um, and uh, and his trade secrets about them being opened, uh, being open about what they find out is great, too. It really falls into the same uh, credo as the WordPress space, which is primarily where I'm from. So uh, thanks again to Patrick for joining us. My question of the week for you is how has this conversation shaped your view of pricing? Are you going to change your pricing model at all? Let me know by emailing me joe at howibuilt.it or on Twitter at jcasabona. Thanks so much to our sponsors for this episode, Castos, Plesk, and Pantheon. If you liked this episode, go ahead and share it with somebody you think will also like it. I think there's a lot for a lot of people here, so uh, feel free to tweet it out or email it to a friend or a colleague uh, who you think will benefit from listening to this episode. And until next time, get out there and build something. <laughs>